I've got a photo for you. Isn't it beautiful? That is a photo that um, I can't take credit. That was Donna, Donna Marlberg took that photo just recently. She, they were on, um, up on top of St. Mary's Peak looking over the Arena Valley over Easter. And it just, when she posted that, that just blew me away. I just, how amazing is South Australia? It's just incredible. But um, there's nothing like climbing a mountain to give you perspective, is there? I've spent a lot of time uh, in my life on mountains in the Grampians. Um, we've got a shack over there and I've been going there since I was born. And it's like a spiritual home for me. And I, I don't know what, but I just feel closer to God when I'm on a mountain. I mean, physically you, you are, really. <laughs> um, but I love the fact that when you're up there, you just have the perspective that God has for a moment. And it kind of puts everything back in its right place and and you kind of, it's like you're lifted up away from the world. And I think, you know, like it's, oh, am I losing? It's like the mole, it's like the mole hills sort of that, that are at ground level that trip us up. But when we're up on a mountain, we're sort of above all of that. Um, and I was thinking about it and I never thought about this before until I was preparing this. But mountains are actually really significant to God. Um, well, they must be because they're mentioned over 500 times in the Bible do you believe? And a lot of significant things happened on mountains. Noah's Ark came to rest on top of Mount Sinai. Um, oh, sorry, not Mount Sinai, Mount Ararat. Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Jesus prayed on the Mount of Olives before his arrest and crucifixion. And he was transfigured on Mount Tabor before the disciples' eyes. Um, and he appeared next to Moses and Elijah, who were both mountain veterans, really, when you think about it. And so this story that we're looking at tonight from the first book of Kings, chapter 18, also happened on a mountain, Mount Carmel. And the best way of describing this is really that it's a spiritual showdown. And so just to, so we're in our second, I think we're in the second sermon in the series on Elijah, um, following on from when, from when Mark preached last week. And so just to set the scene, so Ahab has become the king of Israel and the scriptures tell us that he was um, the most evil, evil of all the kings. Like it, it, how does it describe it? He says, um, hang on, sorry. Uh, oh yeah, so the scriptures tell us he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord and more to provoke the anger of the Lord than, all, than any of the kings before him. And I won't go into the stuff he did. You can read it. It's awful. You can imagine how awful it was. But he'd basically taken Baal worship to the extreme. And he'd built a temple to Baal at the request of his wife, Jezebel. Now remember, he's the king of Israel, like God's chosen people. This isn't not some you know, foreign king. This is the king of Israel. Um, and just interestingly, last year, my brother did a mission trip to Lebanon working near Sidon, where Jezebel came from. And there's a huge temple there dedicated to Baal in, Le in Lebanon, called, in a town called Baalbek. And it's actually a world heritage site. But now Baalbek is surrounded by tents of Syrian refugees and they are turning to Jesus in their thousands. Isn't that incredible? So that's true. My brother was there ministering to hundreds and hundreds of kids. Um, so because the kings were so evil at this time, 
God wasn't speaking through them. He was raising up prophets to speak to his people through prophets. And that's where Elijah comes in. So Elijah tells Ahab, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, there won't be rain, not even a drop of dew in the next few years, except at my word. And then God tells Elijah to get out of there. And he goes and hides in uh, the Kerith Ravine where the Lord cares for him and he orders ravens to feed him and shows Elijah where he can drink water from. And so he protects Elijah. And it's in the midst of that that the story of the widow and the, and the little boy that um, Mark preached on last week, if you missed it. That's, so in that context, that's when that story happens. And now we're coming out of that. So it says, in the third year, so there's been no rain for three years. So that's pretty full on. We, only, we just had no rain for four months and it was pretty bleak. So, and it, by that time, so the famine is, was really severe and then it's when, that's when the Lord speaks to Elijah and says, go, present yourself to Ahab and I'll send rain on the land. So this is where we're pricking, if you, if you are in a Bible, it's 1, 1 Kings 18, verse 16 to 21 is what we're reading. So Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Might have been quite an awkward silence, I imagine. Now, it's really important to see that Elijah is not speaking to the 450 prophets of Baal here. Their fate, if you read on, their fate's already sealed. He's speaking to God's people, the children of Israel. So what's so special about Baal? that led them away from God in the first place? Well, Baal promised fertility and productivity. So basically the Israelites wanted beautiful children and good food to eat, you know, very different to people in Australia today. No relevance whatsoever. <laughs> um, so no wonder God withheld the rain because they'd been attributing the fertility and productivity to Baal and Asherah, this Canaanite goddess. So that's a good point to note that sometimes God has to remove something or someone in our lives to show us that we've made an idol out of it. So God was trying to teach them something. And how were they exposed to Baal in the first place? That's a good, something good to think about. So it was actually the Canaanites. So the Canaanites were the people that occupied the promised land um, before, God, before God gave it to the Israelites. Um, and it was the Canaanites who worshipped Baal. So you remember when God commanded Joshua to go in and take the land, be strong, be courageous, and once you get in there, don't follow their practices, don't marry with them. He gave a lot of um, instructions, all of that. So the Baal worship was a hangover from the Canaanites. And they had become influenced by that culture, even though God had warned them against that. And one of my favourite passages in the Bible... I don't know if you've ever read the 
but the final instructions that Moses gives to the people of Israel before he dies. It's from Deuteronomy 30. I'm just going to read this because it's just these verses are just so phenomenal and I think we can all, we can apply them to our lives. But I really want you to understand that it's in the light of this, that 400 years later, with this instruction, they've drifted away. So Moses says, it's, it's probably one of the greatest speeches. I set before you today life and prosperity, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare, I declare to you today, you will certainly be destroyed. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. Amazing verses. I love those verses. Always come back to them. But 400 years have passed since then and it seems that slowly the Israelites have just become influenced and you know, more and more affected by the culture around them. Maybe they're not even passing on those words to their to the generations. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. They might not have been reading the, the scroll. But I think, you know, it can be so true for us, like now, today, you know, whether we've been a Christian since we were little or we came to faith as an adult or a teenager, you know, there are times in our lives where the devil, you know, really does try to seduce us and, you know, seduce us by the things of the world or we start hanging out with the wrong crowd or, even within our Christian circle of friends, there's just this complacency towards sin. And before we know, we're, t- we're tangled up in it. And I think, you know, these battles and, and these situations are real, but we don't talk about it much in church. But I think we need to. I, th- I really think it's healthy that we do. Because, you know, the, the enemy doesn't want you to be the light of the world or the salt of the earth. That might lead others to Jesus. He doesn't want you to know you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do, Ephesians 2.10. He's going to try his best to make sure your non-Christian friends make you feel like being a Christian means you don't get to have fun and you're boring and you're just being controlled by religion. Haven't we all felt that? And trust me, it doesn't go away. Even at work, I'm nearly 40. It, it doesn't go away. People at work still think I'm like that. Like, it's real. I'm, I'm sharing this because it's real. But sadly, what they don't realise is that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Colossians 1, 13. And to quote Ephesians 2 too, because this is just so powerful. 
it wasn't that long ago, this is speaking to us, it wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth. So if you're confronted with that sort of situation, a good question to ask them, maybe if you felt it was the right time, you know, does your way work? You know, just getting drunk and sleeping around, is that working for you? Does that bring you deep peace and joy? Because it's really good to think this through. And another verse that, you know, really struck me when I was preparing for this, Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap in return. The one who sows to please his flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. And that applies to us too as believers. Although we know the forgiveness of sin, if we choose to sin, we still suffer, the, we still experience the consequences of sin. I had an experience not that long ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be... I'm putting myself out there. I'm going to be vulnerable tonight because I know that God wants me to share this. But I had this experience where it was like sin was crouching at my door, as, as it, they said in Genesis. And it's like I'd opened the door just a little and it was just ready to take me out. And I don't think it was a coincidence that it was around the same time that I'd actually stepped up to pursue something that I felt God was calling me to do. And it was like, it was honestly like the devil just had an assignment on me and he was going to make sure that I didn't feel worthy to do it. And I'm not going to go into the details because it's just too personal and there are some things that are just too personal to tell anyone, really. It's too personal. But I'm going to tell you this much because I think I'm hoping that somehow it will help, help someone. Um... But at the time, I, just, I was so consumed and weighed down in these thoughts, like this, this temptation that, that Satan was just trying to draw me into. It was so, looking back now, it was such a setup. But at the time, I just, I just could not see a way out. And for a moment, I actually kind of wished I was Catholic so I could go to a confession box or something and just talk to someone. But, you know, because I just couldn't bear to tell anyone but then, like, the Holy Spirit reminded me, Jesus is our high priest. I don't need a confession box. I have Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. And not only that, it says in, I think it's 1 John, yeah, 1 John 2, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, I really can relate to that because I'm a lawyer and I advocate for people. But Jesus we have an advocate before the Father. And so, you know what? I did something I had never done before. I got down on my knees and I said, Jesus, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me and get me out of this? And do you know what he did? That night, he, God gave me a dream. And in the dream, he showed me what my life would look like if I went down that path. And it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. 
and I woke up. And I, when I saw all that, and I just saw what the devil was trying to do, and I just didn't want that. And it just broke the power of sin over me. It's like the fear of God, the fear of God broke the power of sin. It was extraordinary. I've never experienced that in my life. But, you know, that verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's so true. But sometimes, sometimes we ask God, you know, when we're facing that situation, sometimes we might ask God, you know, just take this from me, take this from me, but we're actually holding it so tightly behind our backs. How can he? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's like we're praying because we feel like it's the right thing to do, but we don't actually want God to take it. And in that situation, I think you just got to ask, God, you've got to pray that God would heal my want to. And, you know, one other thing, if, if you've gone past that point of temptation and you're actually in the midst of some situation or, you know, whatever it is, can I just encourage you to actually speak the name of Jesus? Whatever it is, wherever you are, whether it's, you know, pretty serious situation or you, you and your girlfriend are struggling or you're going to cross that line, whatever, or you're just about to yell at your kids, I don't know, whatever, but speak the name of Jesus because there is power in the name of Jesus to break it, to break every chain. We know that and it's true. And you just speak the name of Jesus and you watch what happens. You watch the situation change. There is no... Solution for sin without the resurrection power of Jesus. There's no self-help program that will deal with the nature of sin and the root of sin inside a person. People say there are many ways to God. If there are, then God is cruel to allow Jesus to go through what he went through. He went through what he went through because it was the only possible solution for you and I to know what it is to be born again and have eternal life in Christ. And what's so amazing, what's so amazing is that we have a God who loves us so much and is so jealous for us that he won't just stand back and let us be drawn away by sin or worshipping other idols. He's the God who leaves the 99 to search for the one who's gone astray. And this is exactly what God Sorry, and in his mercy, he's the God who answers by fire to win his people back to him. And this is exactly what God does in this spiritual showdown at Mount Carmel. So Elijah sets a contest. He says, go get me two balls, one for me, one for the prophets of Baal. Cut them up, cut them into pieces, lay them on the wood, don't set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of my God and we'll see who answers the God who answers by fire is God. So why did Elijah set this challenge? Because God doesn't want to be in contest with the idols in our life. Now, this is interesting because in Elijah's challenge, you know, you could actually, I wish almost wish we had one so we could see it, but like, I don't know how massive it would be, but he could see the big Baal, like, 
you know, you could expose it, you could, you know, see it and expose it for the powerless false god that it was. But in 2019, idols aren't quite so obvious, are they? Well, maybe they are. I was thinking back to um, the year 2000. I'd just arrived at um, the University of Nottingham in England and to study third year law. And it was orientation day on campus. And um, I'll never forget this day because it was the same day that Cathy Freeman won gold in the 400 metres at the Olympics. And as I'm in this crowd of like, you know, pommy students, someone heard my English accent and said, Oi, Aussie bird, Cathy Freeman, now! <laughs> I was like, oh! <laughs> and I was so grateful because at the time thing, I would never have known when it was on. And I, and I got to see the race, so it was awesome. But that's just, a, that's just a funny thing that I remember. But as I'm walking across campus um, that day, I, I just began to notice this really strange phenomenon. I'm walking across campus and all these students, like, they're not looking up, they're not talking to each other, and they're all like, like this. I'm like, what, what the heck? It was just so new to me. No one, see, no one had phones back then. I'd never experienced phones. So no one in my note, I know it's probably hard for some of you to believe, but none of my friends had phones in Australia. Like, they were not common then, but of somehow England was ahead of us, and so everyone had a phone. And I just walked thinking, oh, and I remember feeling really angry that these people who were complete strangers were ignoring me. I just thought, oh, it was just weird. And then, of course, I came back to Australia and I just became one of them. But I, you know, but I mentioned this because speaking as someone who has known what life was like before everyone had a mobile phone, I would say that leaving aside all the blessings that come, you know, through the apps and the social media and instant communication, blah, 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 we all know that. But I would say, and I reckon most of you would agree with me, that they are probably the biggest distraction and the hindrance to the church today. Like, some of us can't even sit in church without playing Candy Crusher. You know, and if that's you, I'm not, I'm not hassling you or anything, but I'm just saying God has more for you than Candy Crusher. <laughs> like, if you just give him a chance. So, and I know it's not comfortable... But I bring this up because I think we have to. Because if you think about it, you know, we put boundaries in place for all sorts of things in our lives, like how much we eat, you know, go on diets and how much alcohol we drink, hopefully. Relationships, you know, but do we put boundaries around our phone? Oh, no, that's sacred. Don't, don't, don't tell me not to put any boundaries around my phone. I need it all the time, you know, like, but... I just wonder, like, if you could calculate the cost. I wonder what the cost is that it's having, like, on our lives, particularly in our walks with Jesus. And, you know, when you read Matthew 37, where it describes Jesus sitting on the throne of judgment, sorting out the sheep from the goats, and he says, you know, his people will say, oh, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? When did we see you a stranger or naked? When did we see you sick or in prison? And can't you just imagine Jesus replying... You never did see me because you never looked up from your phone. Like, it's, it's real. But yeah, we can't do what we've been called to do if we're too distracted to do it. 
anyway. I've focused on, I have focused on the distraction and phones and everything tonight because I think it's relevant. But the truth is that, you know, anything we put in a place that God belongs is an idol. Anything we want more than God, anything we rely on more than God, anything we look to for greater fulfillment than God is an idol. And I love, there's these verses in Isaiah 44. I'm not going to read them all because it's, it's long, but if you have the chance this week, read Isaiah 44. It's fascinating. But it just gives us this really vivid picture of how ridiculous idol worship is. So it describes a man who has cut down a cedar tree, which he planted, God watered, then burns it in a fire to warm himself and make a meal, and then out of the rest... He carves himself an idol and bows down to worship it, saying, Save me, you are my God. And it says, I love this verse in verse 20, it says, Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? I think that's what's so dangerous. Like we get so caught up in whatever it is that has become all-consuming. We lose sight and we can't see that the thing that we're actually clinging on to is a lie. And you contrast that with Jesus. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. With all our feeding, it only hit, this only hit me as I was actually writing the sermon. With all our feeding, our Instagram feeds, look, think about the fact that they're called these things. Facebook feed, Twitter feed, Instagram feed, and our Netflix binging. Like seriously, are we feasting on ashes when we could be feasting on the bread of life? Like, What are we nourishing ourselves with? This is so so real and none of these things actually satisfy because they never can be the substitute for Jesus it's like it or not we weren't actually designed to be nourished by those things we weren't otherwise we'd be made robots or and let's have a look at what happened in this contest coming back to Mount Carmel let's have a look at what happened in this contest when the people called on Sorry, on the name of Baal, asking him to rain down fire. I love this. It says, midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Isn't it funny that the Bible actually says that? Like it could have just said they called on Baal and of course nothing happened. But they actually bothered to say there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So it's just really good. Like, isn't it, is it any wonder when we put something in a place that God belongs, we feel exhausted, burnt out, empty, anxious? Because when we're disconnected with our relationship, from our relationship with Jesus, there will be no response, no one answering. No one paying attention. And isn't it true that the greatest days of our lives, like the days we are deeply satisfied in him, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in his will, 
seeing God do extraordinary things just in our ordinary lives. Aren't they the best days? Like, it doesn't change, honestly. Like, I'm, I know I'm probably on the other side of some of you. Like, I am married and I do have children and I've been working for a long time and no, it, nothing gets, for me, nothing is better than that. Nothing. If anything, it gets harder and you just need God more and more and more. And I had this experience in January where I actually took some, I took five weeks off work. I'd never taken that long off work. It was amazing. And I just really cleared my head and just allowed God to speak. And when I was working, walking along the beach and he just spoke to me through um, Beth Moore, one of my favourite Bible teachers. And it was like God was saying, you keep adding stuff. What have you taken away? Like, why are you putting all this stuff on yourself when I, I'm not putting it on you? And I was like, oh, man. You know, and I just totally, I realised, like, by the end of last year, I'd kind of lost my saltiness. I was, like, doing all these, you know, good things for God. Like, nothing, that, they, weren't, they weren't bad. Like, you know, but I, I was just doing them out of obligation and almost guilt. Like, oh, I better do that. Oh, I've got to do that. I was like, God's like, I'm not putting it on you. Why are you putting it on yourself? I thought, I don't want to live like this anymore, Lord. I just, I just don't. I just stripped it all back. I just said, no, 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 sorry. And I made space for God again. And I started seeking him again. It was amazing. And do you know what? The next week, I am not kidding you, God gave me like three Holy Spirit encounters with people. It was incredible. Like I was just wasn't expecting quite such an immediate like change or response or reaction, including this lady at Sterling. This is such a, just a cute little funny story. I'm in Sterling with my daughter, and I'm in the op shop, and you know that on the main street, the op shop. And there's this lady with like long bright orange hair, and she's standing at the counter, and she clearly just wants a chat. And I'm just like trying to get my thing, get out of there, and like for Edie. And the lady's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking. I'm sorry, I'm talking, I'm sorry. I said, hey, look, if you can't have a chat at your local community op shop, you know, where can you? Like, don't feel bad. Anyway, so I move on. And then I'm putting my, the library books through at the library, you know, those self-serve thing. And then there she is. She's like, oh, hi. Hi, we talk again. And then we're out. Um, you know, I think we'd been to Woolies or something. Then we're, you know, you, I love Sterling. You just park and do everything with kids. It's amazing don't have to get them in the car again. And so we're walking back out and the lady with the orange hair comes out and she goes, we must have a message for each other. <laughs> What's your message for me? <laughs> and I just said, God loves you. <laughs> Thinking, oh, what else have I got? You know, like God loves you. And she just goes, oh, oh, oh. You have no idea how much I needed to hear that. And just melts and like walks away. And I'm like, what's your message from me? <laughs> I never got to hear it. Maybe I don't want to know it. But no, what a beautiful lady. But I mean, like seriously, <laughs> I didn't have much to say. But like, I just mean these are God. They're my God encounters. They're the stories I want to go home and tell my kids when I put them to bed. You know what I mean? That's what I'm living for. Anyway, back to Mount Carmel. <laughs> so I'm wrapping up. <clears throat> God, so God withheld the rain 
from Israel to turn their hearts back to him, to show them that he was the source of blessing. He was the source of life. But withholding the rain wasn't actually enough to turn their hearts. They're still wavering. They're in total silence. They're clearly divided. But how great is the love and mercy of God that he didn't just wipe them out at that point. He didn't, stand, he didn't send Elijah as a dictator. He could have, but he didn't. So he wanted them to see, them to turn back. And he showed himself as the God of power and forgiveness and mercy. The God of everlasting covenant who wants us to know him and experience him. In Isaiah 55, God gives us an invitation to come and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Stop wasting money on what is not bread and wages on what does not satisfy. Jesus said to the woman that, well, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that invitation is still for us today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Don't feed on ashes when you can feast on the bread of life. Drink from the fountain that never runs dry. I'm going to close in prayer in a moment, but we're just going to make some space um, for some ministry time. We're going to have a few songs of worship and I really want, you know, just to give that invitation for anyone who is thirsty or just came here as a bit of a hollow shell tonight. Maybe there's something that you do need to hand over to God. But if that's you, you do, and if you just want to come and kneel and drink from that living water, the fountain that never runs dry, you are welcome. No one's going to judge you if... If we can't be vulnerable in our own church amongst the people that love us, then where can we be? And I mean that particularly for guys. I reckon it's easier for a girl to come up the front. I think it's easier for girls to, be, to show weakness. But I just want you to know, guys, it is not weakness to come up before the Lord to get prayer or, or just to kneel before him. If you don't want prayer, you just want to come and receive from him. That's not weakness. So don't hold back. If you, if you feel something stirring in your heart tonight and you just don't walk out that door without doing something about it and receiving something from the Lord because you never regret it. So let's just pray. Lord God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your relentless love and your patience to bear with us when we turn away from you and follow after the things that don't satisfy. Lord, I just pray you would search our hearts. Reveal to us if there are any idols in our lives, Lord, any sin that we're entangled in that you just want to deliver us out of, cut us off, Lord God, from that. Yeah, Father, I just pray that we could be open before you tonight. And we just repent of those things, Lord, and we acknowledge you as Jesus, the Lord of our lives. Thank you, God. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, 
Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.